Welcome to Sitka's Silver Linings, collected stories of coping, of strength, and resilience through this time that we're calling the COVID-19 pandemic. My name is Lakota Harden, Tashina Skawi Imachiapi, and I am a guest here on Klingit Ani. We are here in Shitka, also known as Sitka, and this program is presented by the Sitka Legacy Foundation, Sitka Counseling, and White's Pharmacy. Sitka is a unique, culturally rich, diverse, and creative community. And these qualities have really carried us through. And we've seen that. We've seen the brilliance and the beauty of our community over the last year and a half. And I think a lot of us are proud to be a part of Sitka community. Some of the stories that you'll hear were collected by David Christ Tompkins. Thank you so much, David. Through the Sitka Public Library as he recorded interviews to document place and time. Other interviews were recorded by KCAW staff, yay staff and volunteers, and other stories were submitted by the community ourselves. Our first storyteller is Jude Rice. She came to Sitka to visit a friend in 1975 and stayed. She ended up living in the Kenai Peninsula for 20 years, but when she got back to Sitka in 98, She fell in love again and decided that this is where her home is. This is where her heart is. So let's listen to Jude. My name is Jude, and this is my story. March 2020. I was cruising around the Hawaiian Islands, enjoying the warmth and beauty, and not listening to the radio. I was on vacation from the woes of the world and waiting to go on my big island retreat. Then suddenly that all changed. My retreat was canceled, and I started hearing on the news that something called COVID-19 was creeping or crashing into our country, and things were closing down. It was time for me to get back home. I flew back to Sitka to find out I would be in isolation at home for the next two weeks. I then listened avidly to the news to find out what was going on in the world. I didn't have a TV or read the newspaper or do social media. As I got all the latest updates, local, state, national, and world, on community public radio. It didn't take too long before I was totally tired of listening to what was going on in politics and with the global pandemic. It was then I decided to go on my own retreat right at home. That meant no radio and limited communication with the outside world, giving me more time to go within and focus on what was good and important and trying to change old habits and ways of thinking into more positive parts of my life. Doing that for a week once a month kept me going for most of the next year. But one needs balance in life, so I also relied on meeting with my social bubble a small group of friends who agreed to get together as safely as possible on a regular basis to eat, drink, and be merry. I told other friends they could park in my driveway so we could walk and talk on the cross trail near my house. I got through the summer working outside in my yard and garden or meeting with friends to eat and chat on the decks of local restaurants or my social bubble would gather around a bonfire at the beach. As winter approached, I realized I had to figure out how I was going to get through the dark and cold months without my Sitka social. 
that is, all the wonderful events that normally go on around Sitka all year round. That led to sitting down and filling a whole notebook page with ideas, positive, healthy things to do to keep myself going, including all the usual things like keeping up with getting out to walk or exercise, eating well, getting enough sleep, taking drives to the end of the road, taking relaxing baths, drawing, painting, decorating, and staying creative. And finally, after a year of COVID restrictions, I was able to travel again and fly to Arizona in April of 2021. I know it was a totally difficult year for most of the world and feel incredibly fortunate to have gotten through the year as well as I did. Thank goodness. We asked you to tell us more about her retreats. What inspired the idea and how these retreats changed over the time that we were in? Here's what she said. Well, it just comes to mind that once an elder friend said to me, I have a rich inner life. And I thought that was really cool, a rich inner life. And I realized that, yes, I too have a rich inner life. And doing the retreats was a way to retreat to that instead of what was going on in this crazy world. So I started doing it in April of 2020. And I created it. It was my own retreat. And I realized that I could do whatever I want and focus on whatever I wanted. So I got my own special little journal, and I would write in there every day. And I would do little drawings and whatever I wanted. It was like, this is for me, so I'm going to do whatever I want. It just caused me to think a lot about what I was doing, you know, what was going on in the world and what I was doing here. And the things that I wanted to change, the things that I wanted to kind of remove or distance myself from all the negative things, and then the positive things that I wanted to move toward in my life and to focus on. Um, Just step outside. I have a little house in the original woods. It's a sweet little place. And sometimes I just go out and cruise around and look at things, look at all my plants and check things out, and that makes me happy. And I always feel as as soon as I step out my door and I kind of breathe in this wonderful air that we have, I feel better. I just immediately feel better. And so I just told myself, you know, that was my way to get through this whole thing, this whole isolation and COVID and all the things going on in the world was just to, to remember to do those little things every day, you know, every week. So I started really looking forward to these retreats. That was a big deal, you know, because of everything else. Like I said, my Sitka social was taken away. I My life was kind of structured around all those wonderful things that go on. You know, I'd listen to the radio and, and then put all these wonderful things going on on my calendar and look forward to that. Well, that wasn't going on in, in when COVID was really bad. So I kind of had to start making up my own fun things to look forward to. And the the retreats became that for me because they were custom made and for me. And it was like, well, let's see the next one. What do I, what do I think is important? What do I want to focus on? What do I want to change? How do I want to do this? And so that just, uh, that took up a lot of my My inner life was just um, creating that, creating something good. So next I want to mention that Tosh Kimmel is from KCAW's Report for America. 
She's a reporter that taken an interest to interview some of the students from Mount Edgecombe High School. For those of you who don't know, Mount Edgecombe High School was a boarding school that was established here in Chitka in 1947 by the Bureau of Indian Affairs and since then has transformed in the 80s to be a state-run school. And many, many of our Indigenous people have come through Mount Edgecombe. In fact, the reason I live in Sheetka is because my mother came here when I was a child. And I'm so grateful for that because the beauty and the strength of the students of Mount Edgecombe has really inspired us here in Sitka. They've been a major part of our community, and we're really grateful. And these stories are mostly significant because not only did they have to go through this pandemic with us, but they had to do it away from home, away from their villages, away from their families, and had to create a family here amongst the other students. So we just want to acknowledge the brilliance and the bravery of these resilient young people. My name is Haley Wallace, and I am 17 years old from Kodiak, Alaska. Well, right now I'm bald. I just shaved my head recently. And actually, before we got sent home from COVID, two weeks beforehand, I shaved my head for a foundation called St. Baldrick's. So actually, I had just been broken up with the January of 2020, and I was like, I really want to change. And I had already been thinking about shaving my head prior. And so I talked to my extended mom, who's like our school families here essentially and she was like well if you're gonna shave your head why don't you do it for this foundation and so I waited 40 days I like counted down the days and just raised money for this foundation and St. Baldrick's is essentially just a big head shaving party and you just raise money for kids with cancer I'm not like thankful for the pandemic obviously but one thing I'm thankful that happened during the pandemic is that I got a lot closer to my family like since I go to school here and I've been gone for so many years and like my family all my siblings are older than me we were all in the same place at the same time and I just got to see my parents more and hang out with them and all of my siblings and my dad are fishermen so on top of that I don't see them that often so just all of us being home and being able to see each other and hang out was just a really important time and really fun. I think that was the first time I was with all my siblings in one place in a couple years because both my older brothers are fishermen and they're in their 20s, like mid-20s, so they had already moved out of the house a long time ago. And my sister had lived with her mom her entire life because we have separate parents, like different moms. And so just it'd been a couple years since we'd been able to do that. And, like, as far as my dad, like, I get to see my dad every Christmas sometimes. And then, even then, like, usually right after Christmas, he leaves to go fishing again. And then in the summertime, both my brother and my dad are fishing, so it's just me and my mom. Being a teenager during a pandemic is definitely really hard. Like, I feel like a lot of us have lost our social skills, especially, like, since we were in quarantine for so long. And I know that, like, depression rates are really high because we were all isolated for so long. And we just don't know what to do. Like, I just, I had a hard time connecting with people after the pandemic. I'm like, I feel like I am not friends with anybody. But it's starting to get a lot better. And I think the pandemic actually helped a lot of people, like, 
find themselves like if you look online on social media like during the pandemic there were so many people who changed up their hairstyle or tried new makeup or just did different things with themselves and they just feel a lot happier about their looks now and that happened to me like I shaved my head and shaved off my eyebrows and it was just a complete experience and now I love it I definitely learned a lot from this pandemic about myself um I'm happier with myself because of this pandemic. I'm obviously not happy it's happened, but I'm grateful for the outcome and the things that has happened in my life. COVID is a time of a lot of ups and downs. I mean, as human beings, we've had to feel the full range of emotions and um, hardships and close times, a lot of different things. And this is captured by David Christ Tompkins through his oral history collection project. We'll hear short clips of these interviews, but first, here's David. My name is is David Christ Tompkins. I use masculine pronouns. I uh, grew up here in Sitka. I was not born here. And currently I work at the library. So Marie Laws I interviewed in, I think it was late winter, it could have been February of 2021, and it was a beautiful spring day, and we were sitting on our porch, and I had gotten in touch with her because I'd heard that she was she was feeling lonely in the house. She was all alone in her house, as it turned out that she couldn't uh, use her hands very well because her grip was very weak. She had arthritis. And so we talked quite a bit in the interview about where she grew up in Pelican, and coming to SJ to go to high school. But what I was, was really interested in later on for as far as COVID was her experience being lonely. And um, what really struck me was her kind of surprise in that she didn't want to see people as much anymore. She describes herself as like a people person. She enjoys being around people. It seemed like she was, she was surprised that even though she was a like she was lonely and she missed talking with people. She didn't have a huge desire to go out and see people. And she was kind of processing that change in herself. This interview is about COVID-19, which we've all been experiencing for the past year. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering what your what your thoughts about it are. When My thoughts are I wish <laughs> I would get over with. Do you remember first hearing about it, about covid no, it seems to me I was in Anchorage with them. All of a sudden, we had to stay home. And I've been here ever since. And it's, it really has affected me kind of strangely because um, at first, I, you know, first couple of months was like, um, God, you suppose I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life like this? And I thought, nah, that was too depressing. So I don't even think about it. I try not to let myself be depressed. But then as it went on and on, I thought, maybe I am. Because <laughs> it's mm-hmm. been, what, almost a year now? Yes. And uh, I've been alone in this house for that long. And it's a big house. And it's a long time to spend talking to yourself. The conversation gets really boring. <laughs> it's uh, It's very strange. But now, I'm not even getting tempted to go anywhere or be around people. I've kind of grown to like the solitude. I get phone calls and I talk to my daughter almost once a day. 
How do you think it's going to change when we do start getting towards the normal? I don't know. I'm not sure that I know what normal's going to be like. You know, during this COVID-19 pandemic, there's been a lot of tragedies. There's been a lot of losses and too numerous to name. And we've had to, as human beings, really pull on the best parts of ourselves to be there for each other in a time of social isolation. Eventually, things opened up a little bit, but we all remember the time of really feeling that feeling of loss and disconnection from each other. Our next story is from Lauren Wilde. Lauren tells the story of losing her mother Jane, who was a resident at the Pioneer Home, and how her family found connection against all odds. I'm Lauren Wilde, and I was born and raised here in Sitka, and you know, spent some time away. I went to college and graduate school outside of Sitka, um, and then have returned. And I have a career in marine science. I do whale and fisheries research and teach at the University of Alaska Southeast here in Sitka. But my personal experience, I think that is most interesting to note, involves the assisted living facility in Sitka, the Sitka Pioneers Home, and my experience there where my mom was a resident. And My mother was in late-stage dementia, and she was a resident. She's been a resident at the Sitka Pioneer Home since September of 2018. Um, So it was almost exactly a year and a half. Um, And I remember, you know, when when the COVID-19 pandemic was starting to spread across the U.S., our family was definitely taking note. We were aware that it was... You know, it hit harder to elderly people, people with compromised immune systems. We were aware of all the assisted living facilities, like the outbreak in in Washington state that occurred at a long-term care facility. We knew they were really vulnerable. So um, I remember uh, it was on March 13th, the the health mandate came out from the state of Alaska, which operates the, the Sika Pioneer Home. And they basically instructed the Pioneer's Home System to limit visitors in the facility to one per family member per day. So prior to that, for the past year and a half, I had been uh, going in to feed my mother breakfast almost every day, probably five days a week on average. I would go in and feed her, help, help the CNAs feed her breakfast and visit with her before work for an hour. And my dad would go in, you know, around lunch or just after lunch to take her to listen to music or do an activity that was being provided um, at the Pioneer Home. And then uh, he would usually spend dinner or um, come back after dinner and and be with her when she was falling asleep at night, read the paper to her, watch TV program on the on the on her TV. So our family, my my older brother was lives in Sitka, and he. And his wife would come visit. Um, they both worked full-time jobs, so they would come visit in the evenings or on the weekends. They spent a lot of time there as well. So our family spent a lot of time at the Pioneer Home. And on March 13th, when that mandate came out, it was kind of like, well, immediately now we can only go, one of us can go in once per day. And once you leave, you're done for the day. So uh, while my dad was actually in the Pioneer Home visiting, he was informed that that 
that that was the last day visitors would be allowed in in to visit um, loved ones. So he called my brother and I, and we told him to not leave until we had sorted out how we were going to maintain contact. So what we ended up doing was going to the AT&T store and getting her a cell phone with an old cell phone of mine. We, we added her to our cell phone plan. And we had bought her a iPad the year before with a grant from the Alzheimer's Resource of Alaska, which we used to show her photos. It was kind of a bigger screen, and we had a little pillow that had a piece of wood on her lap that had a slot in it, so it had a little iPad stand. And that was a way for us to help her interact with the, with the world. So we set it all up, and we talked to the CNAs. And, and because we had established such a presence there with her, we got, had gotten to know the staff, the administrative staff, the um, housekeeping, maintenance, and CNAs and nurses so well that they, you know, they readily agreed to call us or answer calls. So that's what we did. That's how we integrated the COVID-19 pandemic into our ability to see my mom. It was a, it was a really tough emotional time. People with dementia, people in these assisted living and long-term care facilities, elderly people, if not anybody in our society, they really need human interaction. They need human contact. And I think, you know, there's a lot of thought um, and research that's done into how that impacts their lifespan. And so your lifespan, I think, is increased when you are surrounded by people and familiar faces for people with dementia. You know, my dad was one of the people that she would, would go in there every day and see her every day. And he was married to her for 35, 36 five or six years, 36 years. So she knew him, you know, she knew me because I was consistently in there every day. My, my brother was in there all the time. And so I think that's really important. And that was a really emotional time in March for us to kind of realize we had no control over this. We understood exactly why it was happening, but it still felt, it felt very hard to walk out of there and know that that was the last time I might see her for years. And we also knew she was at the end of her, you know, she was in late stage dementia. She wasn't going to live for that much longer. So my, my greatest fear was that she would spend her last six months relatively alone. And because she doesn't talk, you know, I would, I had to get creative on FaceTime to kind of engage her as best as I could. I played my violin for her quite a bit um, because she loved hearing me play violin when she was healthy and uh, so I played, you know, her favorite fiddle tunes and folk songs, and I played classical music that she had, I had grown up learning that she had listened to me squeak out when I was young on the violin, um, songs that I, I hoped that she would recognize. And I also played new songs that kind of gave me a chance to learn new music. I was unemployed still through this time, looking for work, but not finding work, um, so, so that allowed me a little bit more flexibility throughout my day to do that. So that's how we got to still see my mom. It was, you know, it was a very emotional time. And it was hard because we watched her condition deteriorate throughout the summer, potentially because of her isolation, um, probably also just the nature of dementia and the progression of the disease. And to somebody with dementia, you know, how do you explain to them why all of a sudden their husband and children stop visiting them every day? So we, I think we were very lucky with our experience because we had been, we had set this precedent of going in every day. We had developed really wonderful relationships with a lot of the staff and CNAs and nurses there. 
and it allowed us, I think, to have a much different experience with the pandemic and with elderly people in assisted living than, than a lot of people around this country are facing. And so I feel extremely lucky when I hear stories from places, other, other places even in Alaska and other families' experiences with this, especially if they don't live in the same place as their loved ones. I think it's, um, it's a much more difficult thing for them. As horrible as it was, as emotional and taxing and, you know, as sad and heartbreaking as it was, it was so much better than so many other people get to have. So it makes you sit down and think because it's not so much about you anymore. You're, you're thinking more about what's best for other people. And that, I think, is something our people don't do enough anymore. They don't think about other people's lives. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to Sitka Silver Linings, collected stories of coping, strength, resilience through the COVID-19 pandemic. My name is Lakota Hardin. And this program is sponsored by the Sitka Legacy Foundation, Sitka Counseling, and White's Pharmacy. Shannon, I interviewed in April of 2021. And Shannon's a, a traveling nurse. She grew up in Sitka. She was trained in Anchorage. And she was in California during the huge spike in COVID in Southern California and L.A. And so she was assigned as a traveling nurse and accepted a position during that huge, huge spike. So she got to see that firsthand. And she has I mean, so many stories about caring for herself and then, of course, caring for the people she was working, working with. At the end, she has this nice little spot about well, she was back in sick to visit her parents and she was helping out with the vaccine clinic here. And so she instead of being in the ICU and, and seeing all the, the people who are very close to death or struggling for their life. She said she really enjoyed like seeing the different aspect of that, of people taking positive steps to protect themselves in the community. Were you ever involved with a, a COVID patient who passed away? Uh, a lot, mm-hmm. actually. Um, yeah. So during the holidays, this would be December of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, after Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. that's when the surge started the happening. Surge, yeah. And the biggest surge happened in Southern California, which mm-hmm. is where I was located. And we we definitely felt that. This contract, I was a crisis response nurse for the state of California. So they just placed me anywhere that, that a hospital needed a nurse. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I got to stay in the same place in South California. So... I would be working five night shifts a week, which is a lot for a nurse. Normally, mm-hmm. um, you would be working your three 12-hour shifts, and then mm-hmm. you're done for the week. But this contract, I was working five night shifts a week. Mm-hmm. And so... 12-hour shifts? 12-hour shifts. But sometimes the shift, it gets really busy. And mm-hmm. so at the end of shift, I might have to chart a little bit. So I might stay for mm-hmm. like a total of 13 Goodness. hours or so. Wow. But yeah, as far as patients I would have one day off and then I come back and there's like a whole bunch of different names I haven't seen mm-hmm. and I'd be like oh what happened to so-and-so and they're like oh well bed one um 
Bedouin's heart stopped. So mm -hmm. we we say, oh, the patient coded, mm -hmm. they didn't make it. Yeah. Um, oh, bed three, they the family withdrew care, uh -huh. meaning that okay, let's let's stop all of mm -hmm. life support. Let's mm -hmm. let's make them comfortable. Yeah, and it, it was just really depressing to go in every day taking care of patients and all the energy we're using to take care of these patients and you just don't see any improvement mm -hmm. was really tough. I, I definitely needed more of a coping mechanism. I've talked to other travel nurses and they said, you know, I've been having troubles sleeping mm -hmm. at night. I've been having panic attacks. And that's when I started crying because I realized, oh, okay, so this is not normal how I feel. Like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm not alone. Like, So... Some what? other coping mechanisms would be, I love music, so mm -hmm. I started playing the ukulele ah. again. Yes, and then I just, I made sure to just reach out to friends and family more. It, not necessarily to talk about what was mm -hmm. happening at the hospital, but just seeing how they're doing, what they're doing. Because, yeah, my mental health, like, was declining mm -hmm. a lot after just doing that surge, working five shifts a week. Like the two days I have off, they weren't necessarily two in a row. Mm -hmm. So I'd either have to do laundry or I'd sleep all day. Like I just, right. oh man, it, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it yet. But mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it was tough. You just got to have a really good support system and um, reach out to people. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a tough field, but then, you know, you slowly in a sense start to see things like, about COVID, things evolving. Because actually just the other day, I got to be in the um, vaccine clinic. Ah, great. Yes, and give vaccines. And, and that's just right across the road here. Yeah. The parking lot. Yeah, and so when I was thinking about it, I'm like, huh, I took care of patients on, you know, in ICU beds, like in California, and we were working our butt offs to, like, get them back together, or, mm -hmm. you know, healthy to get them to walk out of the hospitals. And then... Granted, as an ICU nurse, we don't see that. We, we get them stabilized and at least maybe transfer them to a different floor. But, you know, not literally like walk out right. to the hospital. Yeah. So and then I'm like, oh, here I am. I'm, I'm at home. My whole family's vaccinated and mm -hmm. I'm giving vaccines to my hometown, Sitka. And I was like, oh, I'm just I'm, I just feel so blessed, honestly. And a, a time to be life to experience this and actually just play an important role with the pandemic and taking care of people and yeah Absolutely. yeah wow. so i just sit here smile at all i'm like wow we're, we're here right now so yeah but yeah i i do like to recognize those who you know who have passed and mm -hmm. and then i know some of my fellow friends or other co-workers who have been affected by it one way or another like yeah, this is definitely, uh, it's going to be in the history books for sure. <laughs> thank you for sharing your story. Yes, thank you for um, doing this. I, I'm, I look forward to hearing more about this project. Excellent. <laughs> thank you, Shannon. Yeah, thank you, David. So through this pandemic, we've had a lot of different kinds of stories, and all of us have one. And some people had to make decisions based on not knowing the unknowingness of this pandemic. Like, you know, is my job going to be secure? Where do I find a job? How do I move during this? And so we have stories for that, too, because it's a different kind of heaviness, a different kind of insecurity about it. 
when we're trying to make life-changing decisions. And here's one. My name is Lily Wasserman, and I work here at Raven Radio. I moved to Sitka in July of 2020, and it was really a hard time to move here, and the isolation was pretty rough, especially this past summer when we really went into lockdown, and that felt like the time I wanted to be out with people, enjoying the long days. But one thing that I did really dig into that ended up being kind of a blessing was creativity and specifically songwriting. I took a couple songwriting classes over the summer and I found that the anonymity that I I had in taking these online classes combined with the kind of hermit mode that we all went into really allowed me to write songs for the first time. So this is one of the songs that I wrote during that time. It's definitely no masterpiece, but I did want to share it. And it is about facing these really long, beautiful Sitka summer days in isolation. It's called Long Summer Days. I hope you enjoy it.
Kayla is our next storyteller, and she's also a student at Mount Edgecombe High School. Um, I'm Kayla Lowe. I'm from Togiak, and I go to Mount Edgecombe High School. I'm a junior, and I'm 16. I've only been here for a few months. I think this is my third, second? I'm not sure. But I haven't really been outside my hometown other than this. Um, I've always wanted to come here, but the COVID situation made me really want to go. Togiak is about a 1,000 people population. It's southwest, and I've grown up there since I was eight. So we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. We have to go on a plane to go to um, Dillingham or to go to uh, other places. There's not like a road we can go to. All the roads are gravel, too. So it's just like in the middle of nowhere. But we could go on the boat, and we could go upriver, and we could go hunting or fishing. So it's very rural. School was out for a while, but overall it was, it was the reason I came here. Because school is out so much. So there's 200 students, about, maybe more. But it's all elementary and high school. So if one student got it, everyone got it. I feel like a lot of my education back home was taken away. We had to do a lot. We didn't. We aren't able to do online schooling, so I lost a lot of stuff. And there's no Wi-Fi back home. There's, like, barely any service, especially um, in the part where I live. There's, like, no service. We can get 3G if we go outside. But mostly there's, like, no area for Wi-Fi. And I feel like the classes I took weren't the best classes I could take. So I feel like that will really impact my test scores in the future. But um, I'm glad I was able to come here because now I could sort of fix that. I miss my family. I miss my hometown. And it's a new experience. So it's really different. My hometown, a lot of people have the same mindsets. And it's easy, really easy to connect with people there because of it. But here, it's just so different and so cool because there's different types of people and, like, so many different, like, friend groups and so many different, like, I don't know, it's just different people. Back home, everyone knows who you are, and I know everyone. And here, there's so many new people and so many new mindsets. It's so unique, and I love it here. And But it does make me miss home a lot because I knew everyone there, mostly, and I had friends. There's so much more stuff here. Like, there's sidewalks. I'm not used to them. Like, such a simple thing. And there's trees everywhere. Like, you could go up river where I'm from, and you could see trees. But they're everywhere here. There's so much more to do here. Like, different stuff. And it's really exciting. I'm Dimitri Ney. I am 16 as of now, I'm turning 17 in a month. Hmm. <laughs> I go to Manistrum High School. I live in Wasilla currently, and I'm worried about the future because I'm a saxophone player, and I might not be able to go to Music Fest, but I started playing the sax when I was in sixth grade. I started out with the alto, which is like one of the smaller ones, and I played for three years, like all throughout middle school, and I worked my way up to the berry, which takes a lot more air, and that's a lot of fun. And I did jazz band, and right now I'm going to do pep band, so it's been pretty fun so far. It's kind of been a big part of my life, because it's something that I put a lot of emotion into. Like, It's kind of a way to vent out what I'm thinking, and it's just a lot of fun. It's something I really enjoy doing, like just the satisfaction of playing something correctly after practicing it for however long is just a really great feeling, and it sounds really cool. It has a night. Like, the berry sax is one of the bigger ones, so it has a very nice weight to it. And yeah, it's just 
it has some sort of sense of accomplishment when you succeed in it. Like even before this interview, I was up there playing, just trying to figure something out. So I've only went to Jazz Fest so far, but Music Fest is like all these schools from different parts of Alaska come together. And I think it was going to be held in Juneau this year. So if it does happen, we're pretty dang close to it. So it'd be very convenient. But yeah, we all just come over and we play with each other. And it's just very high energy, a lot of fun. And you get to see all what all the other schools are doing. And I think we have like eight people in our band right now. So we wouldn't be the biggest, but it'd still be a lot. It'd be a great experience to have that. During the quarantines here, we would mainly be inside and I didn't have access to anything that, like I didn't have a saxophone until like just recently, or at least the one that I wanted to play. So like quarantining this summer and like the lockdown stuff, I was outside a lot, like out in nature a lot. So I realized that I really enjoy being out there, just watching what's going on, like seeing all the birds fly around and all the fish swimming around, just watching the water kind of flow. This is Robin Sherman. And this is Rob Allen. And we're out walking on the Sika Cross Trail just past Cascade Creek. In something that has become an almost daily occurrence during the pandemic. We live right near the Cross Trail and we can get to it right from our backyard without having to drive. It has become a very important part of our physical and mental health. We come every day and we figure that we've walked well over a thousand miles on the Cross Trail since the beginning of the pandemic. And it's also uh, our social time. We see a lot of people with their dogs on the trail and that's how we've been able to have a little bit of interaction. We both work from home. So this is our uh, physical health, our mental health and our social time. We're really grateful to have the cross trail in our backyard. Yes, we are. It's made a big difference. Our next story comes from Catherine Rose and Adam Litton. Catherine is a KCAW reporter, and Adam, who was born and raised here on Sheetka, is your downtown mailman. It was November of 2020, and the vaccines hadn't quite come out yet, so we were still doing all of our friend hangs, big, small, outdoors. We live right on the north end of uh, Swan Lake, so... Most Friday or Saturday nights during, you know, the cold parts of the year, we would be huddled around a bonfire down next to Swan Lake. And one night we were standing around the fire pit down there. It was pretty late and it was dark. I remember Catherine was telling a story out of the bushes, like right by her feet. Something kind of crawled out and slinked out of the bushes and it was real dark and I couldn't see what it was. And she stopped mid-story because she saw the look on my face and immediately I kind of panicked thinking there was something down next to her feet. I think I I thought it was a snake. I thought there was a snake, which thinking back on it, like there are no snakes in Sitka, but I thought in the moment, oh my gosh, there's a snake. Where's the snake? So I shined my flashlight down there and there was this little scrawny tortoiseshell cat. She was just, she walked right up to us. When I reached down to pick her up, I realized she was just like skin and bones. Like there was nothing to her. She was like a lizard wrapped in fur. That kind of killed the mood of the fire that night, and it became, okay, what do we do now? Do we take the cat to the shelter? It's Saturday night. The shelter won't be open until Monday. Well, yeah, we didn't, you know, we don't have a very big apartment, so, and we already have another cat, and we don't know if this cat's got diseases or or is feral or, or anything, and so our, our only thought is, well, I guess we can just put her in our laundry room. At least it's warm in there. 
So we just kind of close her up in there with a makeshift litter box and tried to give her some food, which she immediately scarfed down because it turns out she was starving. She's really scrawny. She weighed like right under four pounds. And after checking with the shelter and checking online, we realized no one was looking for this cat. So we knew that she was just, you know, kind of astray. And we were kind of worried about getting her adopted because while the vet said she was healthy, there were a couple of things that led us to be a little concerned that adopting her out would be challenging. Well, yeah, is she, how is she? Is she sweet? Is she a nice cat? And unfortunately, the answer is no. Hi, kitty. Hi, kitty. Can I give you a kiss? Can I give you another kiss? The first few nights, she did stalk the apartment. She, like, walked the perimeter going... We started calling her Bone Cat because of how bony and and uh, and 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 misshapen she was. Uh, the way she walked, she had these like pinched hips with like knees that were kind of pointing towards each other and elbows that pointed away from each other. While she is healthy, we don't know how old she is. She could be five. She could be fifteen. She could be a hundred. Early on, she got into the garbage can. Or we would have garbage bags we'd leave inside the front door until garbage pickup, and she would chew the bottom out of the garbage bag to get the food out. I don't know that I've ever heard her actually make a regular meow sound. It's been a lot of just hisses and growls, and at times she sounded like a, like a mountain lion. Initially, I was scared of her, but I think the more I watched her and realized how unique she was, the more I started to fall for this cat. She was not super stoked to be around us. She would eat her food, she would take a nap, and she really didn't want to be touched. We let her take her naps, we let her eat her food, and we just kind of left her alone. And eventually she started to change her tune about us because she realized she could trust us. There wasn't much we could control during the pandemic. It, it often there were moments where it often felt like you just feel so helpless. You're watching all these things happening in the you know the world around you, and you just feel a little bit helpless. And this cat showed up, and we can actually help her. It's it's a small thing, it's a simple thing, but we can actually help her and give her a warm place to sleep and food to eat and at home. And that that gave me. A kind of a little bit of a, a purpose and it was a manageable one it's every day okay we've got to feed bone cat we've got to take her to the vet we've got to make sure she has what she needs and and that that helped i think that helped especially during those winter months she still grumbles a lot but um she's finally she's putting on weight and she's a happy little fat little cat that likes to just kind of lounge on her couch and on her lap and doesn't really want to ever go back outside again i don't think Storytelling is done in so many different ways, and here is a person that decided to tell a story through music. Celia Lubin, a born and raised Sitkin, now lives in Bellingham, and she sent us this following story in song. 
So at the start of Washington State's shelter-in-place order, I was pretty much having the time of my life. I was working reduced hours at my restaurant, and there was this sudden excess of time. With the halting of systems, the new mandates and constraints, it all gave me this unexpected sense of freedom. I reverted back to childhood, trying to find creative ways to spend this bonus time. My roommate, neighbors, and I, we played a lot of Foursquare. Totally forgot how fun it is. A few weeks in, my roommate moved back home to Minnesota, and I was living alone for the first time in my life. And uh, I had a need to fill the empty space. I started shooting hoops by myself at the basketball court down the street. I cooked, I cleaned, I walked around a lot looking for lost shopping lists and notes on the street. I uh, recorded music, I sketched, I lay in the park, I listened to podcasts, I called my grandma, so much stuff. I was constantly trying to remind myself that none of it was a waste of time. I actually don't think there's such a thing as a waste of time as long as it brings you satisfaction in some way. I've always liked being alone, but living by myself was different and difficult at times. I was forced to sit with myself alone, trying to figure out who I am when no one is looking. So I wrote this song in the spring of 2020 when it was exposed how fragile and bogus a lot of our society really is and how there's so much more beyond narrow paths laid out for us. I began grappling with the idea of how I can embrace and balance my self-destruction with my delight without any guilt, reminding myself that despite what the busy pre-COVID world told us, time spent marveling at, say, an interesting pile of trash on the street will never be pointless for me. Choosing to play Foursquare when I got nowhere to be Is the most adult thing I have done all year It's the most adult thing I have ever done I don't really know when I learned all the rules But I don't remember to forget them Do you remember learning to forget And I could smoke myself to death And I could take it like a test And I could find a job that pays me better Today I'm going to go to work in a hot kitchen with a mask on and cook food for people who undertip and overexpect, and then shoot some hoops, make bread, hula hoop in the parking lot, paint my nails, cry, sigh, get high and write a poem, fall asleep to the neighbor's TV. Or I could frame my shopping list and only understand the gist and not know why onions make me cry. Yeah, I love how onions love to make me cry I practice making out with paranoia 
psychic When he asked how did I get here in 